Hey everybody, hello and welcome to another episode of Sketchbook Audio. I'm your host, Ryan Sketch, and I've got a lot of fun things to talk about today, so stay tuned because you're not going to want to miss what's coming up today. All right, so we are back, Sketchbook Audio. Thanks for tuning in. I got some really interesting news today when I looked at a couple of the automotive websites that I typically look at, that I typically peruse, and they're just, they're wow. They're, they're that kind of thing that's just going to get your mind going, and for better or for worse. So we will talk about those things, but a uh, couple things that happened in the last few days, very exciting news and uh, very big news in some regards. Um, I want to talk about those because they are the key elements to the success of certain companies. And uh, they're important to talk about for many reasons. Here at Sketchbook Audio, we like to talk about not only the car itself and how cool it is, but some of the tech, some of the design, some of the features of that vehicle that make it so unique. And the one vehicle I am talking about, of course, is the 2021 Grand Cherokee L. Now that L does not stand for loser. No, it stands for legendary. Actually, no, it doesn't even stand for legendary, although it should, you would think. Uh, it stands for long wheelbase. Um, Jeep has for a long time not had anything that's offered uh, extensive amount of space as big as the Durango or bigger. Hey, Ryan, thanks for tuning in here, man. Uh, so what we're left with has been the Grand Cherokee for quite a while and just the Grand Cherokee two-row. Now, if you want more space and you want an FCA product, you might as well go over to the Durango and you can get your three row fill there. Now, it, later this year, we will see the Grand Wagoneer and the Wagoneer. So that'll be another thing that will offer that three rows, uh, maybe even two rows in the Wagoneer and then three in the, I don't know how that's going to work out. Maybe the Wagoneer is going to be like a sub premium and then the Grand Wagoneer will be grand uh, and premium. Um, at the same ranks as, as Cadillac. Who knows? That is yet to be known. But what we do know is that the new Grand Cherokee three-row is huge. And while some speculated that it might be based off of the Durango's platform, that is an old-aged platform, in which case, actually, the Durango was based off of the Grand Cherokee's platform, and the Grand Cherokee was based off of an old Mercedes platform that underpinned the Mercedes ML. And uh, for those of you who aren't following the nomenclature of uh, Mercedes, and it gets confusing. Um, Mercedes changed the name of the ML to the GLE. So I'll get to Mercedes in a minute because I want to talk about their naming scheme and the naming schemes of some other vehicles, particularly Kia, because uh, I, I, I like car names. I really do. I like when it, there's an actual word there and not some letters and numbers. I, I think that can get kind of silly, especially if they are ambiguous and they don't really represent anything. Uh, hold on one second. I have a cat problem. Yeah. Okay. There, we have addressed the cat problem. Uh, and I, ugh, I can't get my hat on. Long hair problems. Long hair and I don't care. Uh, we have a couple questions here. We have uh, somebody, oh, Ryan is asking, uh, is Jeep a luxury brand now? That's a good question. I'm going to get to that in a moment here um, as I start talking about the Grand Cherokee and then the, the Grand Wagoneer and some other vehicles. But uh, that's a good, very good question. Um, so the Grand Cherokee L is just going to fulfill that three-row need uh, for somebody who wants that brand name, that heritage, and possibly the off-road capabilities. Now, interestingly enough, the one that they showed, the two models actually that they showed, were an Overland and a Summit. Traditionally, both the Overland and the Summit names uh, or models or trim levels have been like the luxury version of the Grand Cherokee. So it's kind of interesting to think that either of those would be going off-road. And in most cases, I'd say 99% of the time, nobody's taking their Grand Cherokee Overland Summit off-road. Uh, but what they did show was an Overland, just a, just a flat-out Overland, 
um, with an off-road package. So it, it's interesting because it's it's a Jeep, right? It They all should be able to pass that uh, Jeep trail rated test. And while both of them offer an airlift suspension, uh, there are some other things that you would really want to have in an off-road vehicle to make it off-road capable. And that's things like skid plates, the, the travel, the... Um, now, on the Grand Cherokee L, you're not going to see a Trailhawk maybe ever, maybe yet. Who knows? But it's because it has such a horrible breakover angle. So that's that center. Uh, think about if you're going over a hill like this, right? And you have a short vehicle that's going up. You know, it's going to curve and it's going to come around that angle real nice. Whereas if you have a longer wheelbase, it's going to take much longer for, well, we'll say this, much longer for that to get over. And then as it does, it's probably going to scrape. Um, that's a horrible example of how that works, but I think you guys get the idea. Look at the uh, Gladiator versus the Wrangler. The Gladiator has, I don't know, like a crap ton of inches over the normal Wrangler. It's crap ton is a, is a mathematical number. Trust me, it's a metric crap ton. Um, has a lot more length and a lot uh, longer wheelbase than a typical Wrangler. So a Gladiator isn't going to do as well going bouldering as a Wrangler would just because it's got that shorter wheelbase. Uh, in fact, a two-door Wrangler is probably going to be better for that. Now, you can compensate for that a little bit by lifting the vehicle up more, giving it bigger tires, this, that, and the other. It gets into a whole mess about geometry and, uh, it, you know... Is it worth it? Depends. Are you really going to want to go bouldering? Who knows? I, back to the original point of a Grand Cherokee Overland or Summit going off-road, it'll be interesting to see if anybody actually does it. Uh, but the off-road package will be available for the Overland, and I think that's a, that's a smart thing because it gives them clout, we'll call it. It gives them a little bit more credence to the name. Uh, the trail rated badge and just gives the people who are the naysayers of Jeep or, or an off-road brand that, yeah, you know what? It still can go off-road and it is a luxury item. So I, I applaud Jeep for doing that. Now let's talk about the design of it because the Grand Cherokee was kind of a mute design, right? A a as it has been. It's never been outrageous with the exception of the Trailhawk and uh, the Trackhawk. But those are outrageous in the sense that they're high performance and they offer just that much more design elements that make it a little bit more extreme than a typical Grand Cherokee would. And frankly, when those vehicles came out, they blew people's minds because people were thinking, it's a it's a Jeep. It's an off-road performance vehicle. It's, it's meant to handle the rock climbing and the mud and the dirt at a high performance level, not the street. So when they did it, they broke this, uh, they created a paradox, essentially. So you have this uh, duality. And it's, sorry, that's my watch telling me that I have things to pay, bills to pay. <laughs> uh, you have this duality where it can tackle the, uh, the off-road elements, but it can also blow past anything uh, on the street. Now, don't, for an instance, think that you can take a Trackhawk far off-road like you would a Wrangler uh, or a Wrangler Rubicon for that matter. You can't and you shouldn't. What you're going to be able to do is um, handle those towing issues and you know if you're towing a boat or if you're taking a tent or one of those little trailers off-road you'll be fine doing it in something like a Trackhawk or the SRT. So I like that Jeep is offering all of these different variations to give everybody what they want um, at, at different levels. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what else this three row model does, but it is limited in some regards because of its size. And I highly doubt anybody's going to be putting 32, 34, 35 inch tires on a Grand Cherokee, especially the long wheelbase. And, uh, you know, with the, the constraints that the fender flares offer or, uh, give now, the two-door version will come out later this year or early next year. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but that would be the one that I'm really interested in to see because we're probably going to see the Trailhawk, the Trackhawk, or you know something performance-oriented and uh, all the other trim levels 
on that model. Will there be a base model three row? I don't know. That would make sense, right? You know, not everybody can afford uh, probably the sub 50,000 or low 60,000 for a three row Grand Cherokee Overland uh, Summit. By the way, they're called summits now, not Overland Summit. It used to be Overland Summit, but now it is just Overland and Summit. Uh, I have a couple questions here. What do you think about the design approach to electric cars? That's a good question. And I want to get to that because that's, that's going to be my next topic. So um, good question. Uh, so the Grand Cherokee two-row will be available after. So what I think will happen is um, we're going to see maybe an uptick in Durango sales because people, not everybody's going to be able to afford the three-row Overland or Summit. That would be my guess. So you might start to see an uptick in Durango sales for a while until, uh, you know, Jeep decides to bring a lower market level uh, three row. They may never do it. I don't necessarily see why they should. Um, especially when you go lower, you have the tendency of losing all of that tech that makes it capable of doing off-road. That's why the Trailhawk exists kind of right in the middle, closer to the higher end of the two row one. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of questions out there, and I have no idea what it's going to be. There's going to be a two-door Grinch. No, two-row. <laughs> oh, man. I probably said two-door. I meant two-row. Um, no, there will not be a two-door Grand Cherokee. There will only be a, a two-row, um, which is what we have right now. Interesting thing, though, I would love to see a two-door Grand Cherokee. Raise your hands real quick if you would love to see a two-door Grand Cherokee or a two-door Cherokee or a two-door Compass or Renegade, anything. Me. And it personally, I think it makes sense. Look, Range Rover did it with the Evoke. Um, Range Rover is probably going to do it with the Defender. Uh, Jeep does it with the Wrangler. Um, there's a couple other vehicles that are doing it, and I would love to see a two-door again. Jeep did it before. They had a two-door Cherokee, and they had a two-door, uh, I think there was something else that they had. I don't remember. And then they also had a truck, right? So why isn't there a two-door Wrangler truck? There could be. I believe that the reason there isn't a two-door Gladiator is because of uh, manufacturing constraints. If you don't know anything about where the Gladiator and the Wrangler are built, they're built in Toledo, Ohio, um, right in the heart of America, right? <laughs> uh, Toledo's a good people that work there anyways so you have uh, these two vehicles that are built in those plants and that is it they they sell so well that there's really no capacity left over for that volume that is demanded and where i get all this capacity from is the fact that those vehicles are also global and right now for the most part i believe they're only made in toledo uh china i believe will be making theirs at some point uh, india maybe as well Jeep just did um, funnel $250 million into India to uh, provide support for Jeep products. So and I, somebody might have to fact check me there real quick. I'm pretty sure the Wrangler and the Gladiator only built in um, in Toledo. And then they're shipped wherever. And they can make left hands, they can make right hand drive, whatever. So there's capacity constraints. And you can imagine how that makes sense because the, the vehicles are in high demand. Look at the Bronco. The Bronco is going to be in a similar situation as well. If they only make it in, uh, where's the Bronco going to be made? Dearborn, I think. So, you know, interesting situation to be in. Um, not a bad situation to be in necessarily, but I think we won't ever see a two-door Gladiator unless sales tank so much that, there's some room left over. They'll, they'll cut back on volume of how many vehicles they build. And then maybe in order to compensate, they'll throw in another one. And if the Gladiator stays on a Wrangler uh, chassis platform and looks like a Wrangler with a truck bed, well, we have a two-door Wrangler, so why not just throw a truck bed on that too? Now, if you really want a two-door Wrangler with a truck bed, contact AEV, American Expedition Vehicles. They will build one for you and your problem is solved. And you'll probably spend about the same amount of money you would in that as you would in just buying a brand new Gladiator with four doors, two extra doors you didn't want. Uh, so that's what Jeep is doing and I'm really excited, but let me real quick dive into the details of the Grand Cherokee. And I'm gonna show some pictures uh, more so than I already have on my Instagram page, which by the way is sketchbook underscore audio. Do check it out. Do follow, do like, 
and comment on some of the pictures that I show. But um, I really like the fact that while the exterior is more re uh, evolutionary, the interior is certainly arguably revolutionary. And it's not just the tech that they threw in there. There's a lot of big screens. The whole uh, the whole gauge cluster is fully digital. But you know, and then you have this massive screen in the center. I believe it's 10.1 inches. Uh, it's the fact that all of the elements inside that vehicle feel and look authentic. And I think that's the big thing that Ram and Jeep are trying to do is be as authentic as possible. And look at Ram. Ram was doing it because they, you know, they are the workhorse. They are uh, the backbone of America. And they did those advertisements uh, last year and a couple of years um, where they talk about how America is so great and America was built on the blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, I'm not going to get too political into this, but um, <laughs> we could talk about history and anthology uh, later. But um, they were built on the backbones of people who worked and who appreciated craftsmanship. So when I look at this new Grand Cherokee, I see nothing but craftsmanship. Now, sure, some of the parts are mass-produced, so you lose the handcrafted uh, appeal of it. But look at the Grand uh, Wagoneer. All of the elements that were in there that may have been conceptual in some cases, um, they're, they were handcrafted. It's a concept car, so things were handcrafted and then you know turned into mass production uh, from there. But just the look and feel of this new Grand Cherokee exudes that level of sophistication that you sometimes only find in these high-end luxury cars. Um, and not even all of them. I don't think all Lexuses on the inside look and feel like you know, things were handcrafted. Uh, I see a lot of stuff that's very geometric, very um, almost natural in a way, uh, like like their grill, for instance, that spindle grill. But it looks like something that only a 3D printer or a computer could create, uh, you know, physically, right? So, you know, you have these CAD models and you, these CAD designs, and then it gets produced. Uh, it just looks more robotic, but at the same time, ethereal in a way. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it quite right, but when I look at the Jeep, I, I see something that was hammered and stitched and cut and sanded by hand. Uh, and it's really beautiful that way. In fact, I actually see a lot of elements inside the new Grand Cherokee that you would see in vehicles from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, even 60s. A lot of the materials and the, the metal that we see in those vehicles of, of yore, uh, we don't see anymore. You know, we, we, everything was replaced with plastics. And while plastics are good in some way, particularly for keeping costs down, um, some people want to feel like they're in a vehicle. It, you know, if it looks like metal, it should be metal. And that makes good logic to me, if it's done responsibly, of course. Now, I won't get back. I won't get too far into the responsibility that Jeep has had over the years, but they're doing a much better job. Jeep and Ram, uh, well, just FCA in general, is doing a good job of consciously thinking about how they are producing some of the more uh, handcrafted look things. Um, it, it's smart, and I think they're doing a really good job about it. Uh, so, Ryan says I live really close to Dearborn, so he saw a lot of Ford test mules. Yeah. Tons of them. You're going to see them all over the place. Um, that's just par for the course of living in Michigan. I see test mules all the time. In fact, I just saw a test mule of a Grand Wagoneer earlier today. And uh, it looked pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited for it. Um, I will never own one because I think it's too big of a vehicle for me, but a good vehicle nevertheless. Okay. Now, somebody asked a question about, uh, about uh, electric vehicles. And let me let me take a look at the question again, so I know what I'm answering. What do I think about the design approach in electric cars? Okay, perfect question. What do I think about the design approach to electric cars? Well, in some cases, I think the design approach is lazy. I just do. Um, I think that, and, and I, I don't want to give too many examples. I'll give you good examples of vehicles that are doing it right. I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to diss other people's vehicles. I, I don't want to do that here. Um, you know, the vehicles typically are designed 
beautifully and very well and with a lot of emotion and a lot of thought. There's a lot that goes into designing a vehicle. So it's not to put down the designers, but when it gets engineered into a production reality, a lot of things get lost in translation and you're just left with a shell of what you originally had in the design phase or in the concept phase. So um, there are some cars out there that are electric that are just like, okay, we need to do this for the sake of um, the EPA and getting our emissions down and meeting a goal or a requirement. So they throw in an electric car and by, and to do that, they just take one car and then they throw in an electric drivetrain. Not enough. I think you need to go further. Um, and I think some electric vehicles don't take advantage of this new canvas that they have essentially. Yes, there are some you know, restrictions, they're restricted by what they have at the time in, cer in certain cases versus starting from the ground up, which I'll mention Rivian in a second here. But uh, a lot of these car companies are being forced into electric vehicles uh, like Volkswagen or, or Ford or some other companies that uh, they just, they have to meet their emissions requirements. It's a government thing, you know, but to quickly do it, they do what I just said. They take a, a car that's already powered by an ICE uh, propulsion system, uh, internal combustion engine, and they throw in an electric powertrain. It's not hard to do. In fact, there's companies out there that will retrofit your present ICE vehicle with an electric powertrain. Um, so then you don't have this redesign. You don't have this new design. You're, you're, you're just, uh, I don't want to say putting lipstick on a pig, but you are just switching one thing. I don't know how to put it. You're, you're not doing the electric vehicle and its powertrain justice by just throwing it into a vehicle that had an ice propulsion system. And what do I mean by that? I mean, when you have a true electric car and something you started with the ground up being, you know, you know, it's going to be electric. It's a totally new platform. You have so many different things you can do with it. Uh, you have just this blank canvas. So go wild with it. And that's what I think Ford did really well. And Tesla did really well with their cars. Um, they saw that, okay, the battery is going to be super low so we can have this uh, low center of gravity and then everything above it. We can do whatever we want, really. Um, there's so much weight at the bottom of the car now that it, you could put missile launchers on the roof and it would still probably maintain a decent uh, cog um, center of gravity. So, oh, my aunt just tuned in. Hello, Aunt Kathy. Thank you for tuning in here. Uh, I am talking about, well, right now I'm talking about electric cars, but before I was talking about the Jeep Grand Cherokee, which I am excited for. Um, but yeah, so you have all of these cars that could be better and could be designed to actually look and feel like an electric car should. And I, and I had mentioned the Ford uh, Mustang Mach-E. I think that's a perfect example. An example that I don't think was best suited for an electric car was the Ford Fusion or the Ford Focus. They took a car that has always been a ICE powered vehicle and now all of a sudden it is an electric powered vehicle and they missed the opportunity to do all these other cool things with it. What cool things can you do? Uh, you could make the car as round and bubbular, uh, bubble-like, bubbular, bubbular, as you would like. Uh, teardrop is the perfect shape for aerodynamics. Um, so coefficient of drag, you reduce all that. And um, that would be like perfect world scenario. But I also think that that's not the best looking vehicle. And while it may be a good use of all the space you now gain because of it being an electric car, it might not be the best design. Of course, I'm dumbing it down right now. I'm just taking the basic elements. You think of a teardrop and you just, you think, okay, we're gonna put four seats in there and, and call it a day. Yeah, cab forward. We could do a ton more cab forward designs. And, and why not? They look cool. They look powerful. You know, some are done better than other, but uh, you know, I'm not talking like necessarily the uh, the FC. What was it called? The uh, it was a Wrangler concept. It was the forward cab, something or another, and it was basically a Wrangler where the entire cockpit was moved to the very front, hanging over the front axle, and then the back of it was this massive truck bed. That's a great design, I think. Um, it's a smart design too. They just took what they already had and they, they shuffle some things around. 
It's not an electric car. Could have been an electric car. They could have put batteries in the bottom and then they could put motors in the wheels. Who knows? But when we think about designing an electric car, first of all, if you're starting from the ground up, go hog wild. Uh, if, you, if you're just conceptualizing, put electric motors in the wheels, put electric motors um, on top of the axles and amplify the amount of space you have on the inside of the car. And that's what I think a lot of the times we lose. And I'll tell you why. But uh, when you have an electric car, you have the ability to have this massive cabin um, that can be utilized for tons of stuff. Now we're not quite at the auto full autonomous level and I don't think we will be in our lifetime. Um, so I wouldn't get too crazy with, uh, you know, thinking that cars tomorrow or the next five years will have seats that turn around and face each other and the driver can be completely hands-free. I don't quite see that yet. So we're still going to have people who are sitting in, uh, look at the minivan, the Pacifica and um, how uh, Waymo, uh, Waymo, yeah, Waymo has turned those minivans into um, fully autonomous vehicles. There's no driver, but there's still a steering wheel and a like a cockpit, the gauge cluster, and all that stuff. Um, and then the seats—they're just like normal seats; they don't do much else. Uh, but you could, in theory, if we're talking 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, we could start to turn the seats around. We could start to have the seats, like I've seen a couple concepts where the passenger seat can lay flat and then all of a sudden tilt this way. So it's starting this way, facing the road, and then all of a sudden it tilts this way and now it's facing the passengers, which by the way, if you're sitting in this position, your head's up here and your legs are here, when you, <laughs> when you tilt the seat this way, now your head's down here and your feet are up here. So you got to think about those kind of things. I would maybe rotate the seat and then lean it back, you know, but point is when you have an electric car, you can, um, you can amplify the interior volume and do things with it. Now, what I've seen in a lot of situations and in particularly in Ford, uh, when they did their clinics to ask people, Hey, what do you want to see in this electric car? They set a center council an electric car you don't have a tunnel anymore you don't have a transmission tunnel you don't have to have it so um you could get rid of it or you could try to come up with something else you know maybe that center council uh oh we paused here okay maybe that center council comes out from the from the ip wouldn't that be cool in fact fca had and i think uh, gm now has in their bigger suvs it's a slightly more permanent solution, but um, their center armrest kind of like expands and then keeps going back. It's on like a track system. Do that. Put some tracks in the floor so that the center console can slide from the very back of the car to the very front of the car. You know, utilize that space well. Maybe you're the driver and all of a sudden you're thinking, eh, I don't want to drive anymore. Um, I want to go back into lounge mode, we'll call it. So you jump up, you put the car in autopilot. And you go to the back of the car and you just sit there and you you relax, get some R&R. &R. And that center console, you push a button maybe, and the center console just slides all the way to the back. I don't know. But those are the things you can do with an electric car. Now, as far as the exterior goes, I don't think electric cars need to be boring. And we already have seen that electric cars don't have to be boring. Look at the Mustang Mach-E. Like it or hate it, it's still a cool-looking car. It's still something that's more dramatic than the electric, uh, you know, an electric toaster, right? So uh, we got a couple more points here. Can I send you a sketch of electric rally hatchback? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned electric hatchback because um, Rivian, since we're talking about electric cars here, Rivian actually started out as being uh, the brainchild of RJ Scaringe and his his project, his original pet project was to design a electric hatchback, a hot hatch and, uh, bring it to the market. I think what happened was, uh, this is just from reading some stuff, some interviews with him and watching some things and just the way things work. And then just kind of not common sense, but the way, uh, the economy works, a hatchbacks don't sell well to begin with, right? They're, um, they're a niche thing, especially in the U.S. Now, overseas, they sell great. It's a great thing. Um, everybody has them, and that's because of size constraints and just the environment that they're in. 
so he decided after probably talking to his investors and some other people that said, you know what, that's probably not the best investment. It's a great pet project. Don't, you know, get rid of it completely. Uh, but right now you should, if you want to get a good return and you want to make the biggest impact on the environment, you'll go a different route. Hold that thought one second. I got to start a new. He was left with his, uh, this thing where he can't do his his dream car, we'll call it, his dream car, because it's not going to have the biggest impact. He wanted to impact the world positively. He wanted to make an electric car, and uh, he wanted to get the biggest bang for the buck, we'll, we'll call it. So since hatchbacks don't sell well to begin with here in the United States, um, which is where he wanted to focus his efforts on, uh, you want to, you want to turn to vehicles that you see more often. And then also the ones that have the biggest impact on the environment. What are those vehicles? SUVs and trucks. What vehicles is he making right now with Rivian? Rivian R1T, the truck and the Rivian R1S, the SUV. Makes sense, right? Now the vehicles that everybody wants right now, he'll be able to get more of those out, which of course means more money for the company, but also a bigger impact on the environment. Now, fewer people uh, there's more options out there for fully electric vehicles that have a positive impact on the environment. Uh, of course, we can argue the validity of do electric cars have a better benefit than a, uh, or a worse benefit than, or worse impact, I apologize, worse impact than its counterpart ice-powered engine. And I think the thing that's missed is Okay, maybe an electric car does require more, just say hypothetically, it did require more carbon emissions to build it. I think in the future, as things go on, we'll find better ways to produce these vehicles, cleaner ways to produce these vehicles, no matter what engine it's powered by. But once the vehicle is made, after that, it's zero emissions, nothing, whereas a comparable ice-powered vehicle is emissions 24-7. It will always put out carbon emissions and it will get progressively worse as it ages. That's just life. That's how it that's how it works. Whereas an electric car will, even if it degrades, it's just losing a charge and it's losing its range. That's how batteries work, right? Um, so I think there's an impact on the environment through either vehicle but one has a lasting impact and the other one doesn't. So that's my uh, my point on there. Let me answer a couple questions I got here. Uh, Ryan, I just got your sketches. I will take a look at those. Um, actually, I will pull them up right here on my desktop. It's nice I can have Instagram on my computer and then while I'm watching you guys. So the other question I got, uh, I don't believe it is just how cool could a car be? Yeah. You know, hopefully I'm, I'm understanding your point. Uh, an electric car, or any car really for that matter, doesn't necessarily have to be cool. It just has to do its whatever it's doing. It needs to do it well. So whether it's an off-road vehicle or a high-performance hypercar or something else, just needs to be able to do it well. Um, but I do think that electric cars at least the stigma they've gotten is that they don't look all that great go back and look at the general motors uh ev1 and tell me you think electric cars would have looked cool back then probably not now if we all had deloreans that were in fact electric cars were powered by something else whether it's hydrogen or uh i can't even think about what deloreans were powered off of it was like some alternative fuel that you put into the mr fusion and it was just whatever. You could put banana peels, you could put a diaper, and it would still turn it into combustible energy that was clean. Um, whatever it is, you know, I think for a while, electric cars just were thought as appliances, you know, much like Toyotas were for a while, and Hondas were considered just to be appliances. Um, but it's it's in the designer's best interest to 
do a couple things. One, design something with their heart. Design it, you know, as though they love it and that the people who are going to be buying at the market that they're selling to will love it. But then they also need to design it smartly, intelligently. And it, of course, there's all of the things you have to do to make it compliant with NHTSA and all that stuff. But uh, if, if you don't design it well, there's a lot of things that go into the term well, uh, then it's going to fall flat and it's just going to fail in the industry. Rivian, I think, has done a phenomenal job with meeting all of those. They've ticked all those boxes. It's smart. There's tons of tech. It's fuel efficient. Check. It's powerful as hell. Check. It does some cool things like uh, the tank turn. Check. And it's got some features in it that were designed very intelligently and very thoughtfully because of their connection to people who are adventurers. You know, there's places to put a surfboard inside the vehicle without ever seeing it. That's a good use of the extra, we'll call it negative space that um, some vehicles would have if they went electric. Uh, the frunk, the trunk in the tailgate, I, all these things are just smart design elements. And then I'm thinking of Ford F-150, the new one has a lot of really cool things in the tailgate that are functional. There's cup holders, there's a kickstand, there's um, a ruler, little simple things, but they make a world of a difference, especially to the people that you're marketing to. Uh, Nemo, what's up, my dude? Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you coming on here. I am just talking about electric cars right now, uh, and eventually I will get into some news that I saw on Autoblog. Um, I got another question here. I agree with that, but talking about supercars, don't you believe this is a different thing? Um, yeah, well, supercars are always different than everything else. You know, they're, they're a niche vehicle and not everybody can afford a supercar, let alone, uh, has access to one. So, but when you think about electric cars and supercars, they're one and the same, essentially Priuses are actually pretty fast and they would be even more fast if they were just pure electric. Uh, you can govern a lot of that. You can govern the engine, uh, the, um, the energy output, the draw of energy, which then turns into, uh, you know, the motors draw of energy from the batteries. You can govern all that. But when you think about an electric car, the biggest benefits of them will be instantaneous torque right out the whole, as soon as you touch the pedal, all the torque is available to you. Uh, you can limit that a little bit. There are ways to do that. And then there's uh, the benefit of you can, depending on the batteries you have, you, you know, the sky's the limit. Of course, the motors are kind of limited as well. But um, I think a lot, a lot of supercars are going to go electric or at least a hybrid. Um, Ryan, you just sent me these drawings. I'm sorry. <laughs> Got distracted. Uh a little electric hatch here. Okay. I like it. Now, the one thing you did in this drawing, um, I'm just going to talk about it real quick, is you you gave it a really big greenhouse. And I like the fact that it's lifted. So it's, like you said, it was a rally car. Uh, it's pretty cool. I like it. If you don't mind, I'm going to do an overlay over and just see what I can what I can do. Not, not to say it's going to be any better, but... I like the proportions. I like how you move the cab forward a little bit and, you know, then a traditional uh, two-door or four-door hatchback. And it's not your typical squared off hatch. It's It's got a nice sloping, uh, kind of like the Polestar 2. It's got a fastback look, but, you know, it's got some sort of a hatch or a liftback. Um, okay, so now that I'm done talking about all those things, I want to jump over to what I saw on Autoblog and... Uh, I'm going to start off with this one because I really want your guys' opinions because I think it's hilarious, but also I am super geeked about it. It's just a rumor right now, but there's substantial evidence to to back it up, I think. But um, Fiat, okay, first of all, has anybody ever heard of the Nissan Murano cross cab or cross cab relay? Have you ever heard of the Range Rover Evo convertible? Probably more so than the previous one. Have you ever heard of the uh, Volkswagen, I think it was the the Golf, 
Cabriolet? Yeah, Golf Cabriolet. Probably. It was a pretty common car. It was very popular. What do those all have in common? Other than the fact that Cabriolet seems to be attached to all of them? Well, Cabriolet means convertible, essentially. So, uh, <laughs> Nissan did a Nissan Murano on its uh, first generation Nissan Murano, which did carry over, I think, into the second gen for a little bit of time. They did a convertible version of the Murano. Now, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It was the most ridiculously overpriced thing in the world for what it was. You lost most of the SUV functionality with the exception of it being lifted, but it was actually lowered a little bit, just not as low as, say, a Nissan uh, GTR. So, you know, take it or leave it. Could you do anything off-road with it? I don't know. You couldn't really do anything with a Nissan Murano anyways other than look kind of classy and fancy. I like the first gen. I think the first gen was great. Then they made it really, really big. And, uh, yeah, speaking of which, real quick, side note, de detract completely from my original point, but I saw a Nissan Murano, a uh, present one, 2020, right next to a Nissan Rogue, 2021. They are the same length. And interestingly enough, the Rogue actually probably has more interior volume and cargo, cargo volume in the trunk because it's a square. It's a box. It's a big box. What happened? Is the Murano going to get bigger now? I don't know. But I just thought that was really interesting because the Rogue used to be much smaller than the Murano. So uh, there's so many SUVs out there, and it's just oh, it's mind-boggling. But, okay, and I mentioned that the Range Rover Evoque had a convertible version as well. Well, guess what? We're going to throw in another one there because Fiat doesn't know what to do with itself anymore, and I guess they're grasping at whatever they can here in, well, in the world. Um Granted, in the world, to be fair, in the world, in the global perspective, Fiat does really well. Fiat does very well in South America, Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, countries like that. Um, and they have ton. their product portfolio is huge. Just recently, however, uh, Fiat just, just pulled, yanked all of their product line from the United States, with the exception of one car, and that's the 500X. Not a bad car to leave behind. But uh, real quick, I have a question. Uh, sorry, could I ask if you work for a car companies because it's a thing that I miss. Oh, uh, good question. I will answer that real shortly. Um, quick answer is yes. But uh, so Fiat just yanked all of their product lineup for the United States. We lost the 500L. Eh, not a big deal. I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool, especially in the trekking edition. But it was underpowered and it didn't have all-wheel drive. Um, the 500 has been gone for a little bit over a year. So, okay. The 500 E completely gone, but it's available in Europe. I like that new 500 E and I think it should be brought over here. And then the 124, like the only really cool thing about Fiat right now was the 124 Abarth and it's gone now. It's gone. Bye-bye. Good news for you, my viewers who are interested in buying a Fiat 124, you're probably going to be able to pick up one dirt cheap at the dealership real soon. Um, so now back to the 500X. Guess what? It's going to get a Cabriolet version. Sounds like it's going to be identical to the previous 500E Cabriolet that we had here in the States. Just a cloth soft top that rolled back, so a roll bar uh, style. So it'll just slide back and then uh, encompass the rear window as well. I like that idea. I think it's a great idea. We haven't had, sometimes we call them California cruisers. We haven't had that. The PT Cruiser in a couple concept forms had that. BMW had that. I think Mercedes had one like that. It's just a, a rag top that slid back, and, and that was that. Um, I think we need more of those. I do. But, of course, the United States doesn't like nice things or cool or unique things sometimes, so they just get rid of them. Um now, to your point, to your question, um, do I work for the automotive industry? I worked for Chrysler for about six years. My dad worked for them for about 20, and uh, before that Ford, and before that General Motors. Now I work for Fox Factory. I don't have, yes I do. Uh, I have my trusty Fox Factory hat. Um, and now I'm in Michigan working freelance as an automotive designer. 
So I've worn many hats, no pun intended. But uh, yeah, um, if you're interested in working in the automotive industry in general, what's your question? If you're looking to become an automotive designer, got a lot of good pointers for you. But the first thing I'm going to tell you is it is harder to become an automotive designer than it is to become a professional basketball player. That was something that was told to me pretty much right around graduation uh, of automotive design. So I'm telling you that now to not kill your hopes and dreams, but just to warn you because you got to have a degree in it. You have to be good at it and you have to be the best at it essentially. And how do you do that? You know, there's ways, and I, I try to use this platform as a way to teach and train and give you guys the tools. Uh, I don't have it with me right now, but your first step I would suggest is to pick up a book similar to the I Draw Cars book. Look them up on Instagram, I Draw Co. It's I D R A W C O, I Draw Co. And then go to their website. You can order straight off of Instagram, I think now, and uh, get their book. If you send me a private message, I might even be able to help you and send out uh, send out a book to you, depending on where you are in the world. Uh, if you're here in the States, no problem. Um, yeah, Ryan, uh, very competitive, extremely, almost cutthroat sometimes. Um, it's, not to, it's not to kill your hopes and dreams. It's just, it's to encourage you to work harder and to be better. It's just, you, ah. Uh, yeah, I mean, go for it. Definitely go for it. If that's what you love to do, then do it. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, so we talked about the 500X convertible, which I think is funny. Uh, the next one I want to bring up is one we don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm curious because I like the present generation. And, um, you know, this will be interesting to see what this looks like. But the Kia Sportage. Somebody posted some red renderings on car scoops. Uh, I'm looking at the image right now, and I'm kind of freaked out by it. Uh, I know it's just a rendering, and an artist, they did a good job of photo chopping it and just mix-matching mix a lot of stuff, but I don't think – I think it's too much. I think it was overworked and just a little too much, and it loses the two things that I loved about the Sportage, and that's its weird bug-eyed headlights that sat proud of the hood – and by proud, I mean on top of it. Um, and then it's fenders that are punched out. It looks really muscular for a like a very commercial, um, bland crossover. And it wasn't. It was it was a pretty fun crossover, and I liked it. And I liked the looks of it. It was it was different. Not quite as crazy as the Toyota CHR, but certainly in its own right, way different than a lot of other crossovers. Um. The next thing I want to talk about. So, oh, so go check out Car Scoops, or you can even go to allpar.com, A-L-L-P-A-R.com, and you can look at some of the posts there. Uh, it's, um, Autoblog is the place I typically go to for these things, and I'm hitting back over there real quick. Uh, oh, Italy. Okay. Well, the good news is they ship to Italy. So go to iDrawCo and order one of their books. It's not much. It's like 24 or 25 bucks. And it's worth every penny that you will spend on it. Um, my computer just took a big dump here, it looks. Okay, there we go. I keep clicking the wrong button. <laughs> okay, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about real quick is um, GM's new logo. Now I don't typically talk about logo design, but and that's because I, I'm not a graphic artist by trade. I, I dabble in it every now and again. I've done a couple companies' uh, logos. Logo work is not really easy. If you want to do it right and you want to get the money for it, you got to have a good lawyer. You got to write your your stuff, your documentation well, so that you get paid for it. Because if it's a logo that's going to continue to be used over and over and over again, I want to get paid for it, right? Um, but the new GM logo, I'm, it's lowercase g and m, right, with a line underneath the m, and then a blue box that has a center 
originating uh, gradient that goes dark from here and then it brightens up out here. I don't know if I love it. Nico, my man, dude, congratulations. You are about to be a proud father. So thank you for tuning into this. Uh, I, man, I'm excited that you're here. It makes me happy when you and Nemo tune in. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Have you guys seen the new GM logo? Let me Let me show you. That's it. Boom. I don't think I love it. I don't hate it because it's GM's logo that you're only ever going to see like in a little tiny badge on the side of the car and, you know, maybe on some parts, much like, well, FOMOCO. That's on all of Ford's parts that they make. It's Ford Motor Company. But you see the big, proud, bold Ford logo, uh, which I think is a little too classic-ish. I, I think sometimes Ford needs a redesign on their Ford logo, but it's a good looking logo. What I was interested to see was, because I got really excited about this, was uh, when I saw GM, I saw it said GM redesigns its logo. So I was thinking, wait, do they mean GM or GMC or Chevy? Uh, the bow tie. You know, they're good in their own right. They have history behind them. So I respect that and I appreciate that. Um, I'm just not so sure. I'm, I, I would have expected more for this GM. And I, I know it's for them preparing to go all electric. But, uh, you know, 99 designs are, yeah, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I What do you guys think? Is it a good logo? Would you want that logo? I, I hate to bash it because somebody worked on it. How hard they worked on it, I don't know. Whatever, moving on. Um, I've talked about auto shows or the lack thereof quite a few times in uh, my Instagram streams as well as on my podcast. Um, but one particular that's going to be very interesting this year, as much as it was last year, and I'll, I'll tell you why, but um, is the uh, the CES show. And I said auto show, but I didn't necessarily mean auto show because it's not a show for cars although it kind of is now because all cars are essentially a computer with wheels. Um, last year, I think it was, or maybe the year before, you started to see full cars at CES, and that's Consumer Electronics Show? Symposium? I forget what the S stands for, but uh, Nico, you probably know what CES actually stands for, but... Uh, I'm a layman and I don't, I don't speak in. Yeah. Um, CES is where you find out about the latest computer tech, the latest in virtual reality, the latest in 3d printing and all that stuff. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if he's still on, but Nemo, uh, uh, the company that he used to work for. Um, oh my gosh. I just drew a blank. They, presented one of their cars, which was fully 3D printed at CES and then at the Detroit Auto Show and a couple other places. So um, because it, yeah, it is show. Okay. CES, Consumer Electronics Show. Um, Chrysler last year or FCA showed off uh, a all electric minivan, local motors. Yeah, that's it. Um, showed off this guy, the portal. And they did it because it, featured a ton of new tech, particularly the lighting on the outside, which was not too far off from mood lighting. It actually did, you know, mood things, how the driver was feeling on the outside, but also for some safety reasons. You know, if you're turning, it's going to blink on the one side of the car. And then if you're stopping, the lights turn, I don't know. Um, dude, <laughs> I'm hyper, so I need a lot of things. So. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's for my memory. But yeah, that, um, more carrots so that my eyes are better. I, tons of stuff. Anyways, I'm sidetracking. Darn it, Nico. Uh, I, we're going to start to see the CES become way more car-based because cars are the biggest piece of technology uh, that can be personal, pretty much for the most part. Nobody really has a satellite or a, uh, with the exception of Elon Musk, 
um, nobody has like a space shuttle, which is some pretty big tech um, personally, right? You know, yeah. So we're gonna start to see a lot of cars at CES. That was my point. Um, but this year is gonna be really cool because nobody's gonna be there. So they're gonna do it all virtual. Um, I think it's like mid-January, end of January. I'm gonna see if I get an exact date here. Uh, the 14th, maybe? January 11th is the first day. But they're gonna showcase the Wrangler 4xe, which we've seen a bunch of times. Um, the Grand Wagoneer and all of its glorious tech probably the Ford uh, Mustang Mach-E and um, maybe Tesla's and some other stuff, but it makes sense, right? Tons of tech in a car. Uh, Mercedes is showing off their EQS, I believe, and their massive um, 50 some inch, I think it's 53 inches. It's huge. And it's not just a square. It is this amorphous blob shape that is quite impressive. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, check out Mercedes's website or Autoblog, and you can see Mercedes is ridiculously cool, um, full width of the vehicle in, in the inside, anyways. Uh, dash command center. It's pretty cool. Now, interestingly enough, Chrysler actually showed a concept of that back in two thousand. I want to say eight or nine or ten or somewhere around there with the Chrysler 200 when they were going to, you know, start with the 200 and then you had the 300 and then they were going to go on eventually from there with other numbers. But um, they showed this really cool looking sporty sedan. And on the inside was this insanely huge, like wrapped around the driver dash. But what it was, was a bunch of little screens that were all fused together with a really nice acrylic overlay, but they actually were, all worked and you could swipe from one screen and it would show up on the other screen. It was just insane. So check it out sometime. Uh, Chrysler 200 concept, really cool interior. Uh, but that's actually what Mercedes is going to bring to market. And it's impressive. It's really cool. And it's very functional and it's very fluid. So that's going to be awesome. Um, I don't know what else we're going to see there, but uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up with you guys was, let me see if I can find it again. Um, Cause it's kind of big news. Oh, apparently somebody leaked the Ford Maverick. So uh, Ford, I'm sorry, but I'm outing you right now. Autoblog.com. You can see what the Ford Maverick looks like on the assembly line. Not supposed to have cameras inside production floors, but you know, it happens all the time. So there's that, and uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, you know what, the last thing I want to talk about is I want to get your guys' opinion on Hyundai and Kia. Um, 20 years ago, the only reason you ever thought about Hyundai or Kia is because you needed a car and you were broke. Great way to get a cheap car. Um, now, it seems like if you want a car and you have money, you could think about a Toyota, a Honda, um, you know, good, safe vehicles. Uh, but if you wanted a little bit more style, you might go to Mercedes or Audi and get their lower models like the CLA or the A-Class or uh, the Audi A3, things like that. But now some people are considering Kia and Hyundai and Genesis in those categories. And wow, has Genesis really taken off and turned something of themselves. Uh, Genesis, if you don't know, Genesis was a basically a bigger Hyundai Tiburon with a 5.0 Tau engine. Um, and then uh, they had a sedan and then a big sedan called the Equus, uh, which didn't do too well, didn't do horrible, but it was a $65,000, $70,000 Hyundai. But somehow they've managed to turn that around. And I think part of it, a big part of it, is because they stole a bunch of people, <laughs> stole, poached, um, a bunch of people from German engineers and designers. And their cars are beautiful. Their cars are really cool, especially Genesis. Uh, really excited to what, see what they, they do in the near future. Oh, my mom just tuned in, which is really interesting because she should be right behind that door right now. Uh, they just came up to visit me and say hello. Uh, it's somebody's birthday. Um but not my birthday, it's 
it's her birthday, but you know, keep it on the DL because once you hit a certain age, you're just like, birthdays, what? I don't care. Go do the lawn, which is what I hear all the time every time I go see my parents. Anyways, 30 seconds left in this show. I wanted to thank you guys for tuning in. I had a lot of feedback here today. And if you guys ever have any questions about design, hit me up. Shoot me a message on Sketchbook Audio. Go check out anchor.fm and look up Sketchbook Audio. That's my podcast. I would appreciate it. Keep sketching, sketch, 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 and be good to each other. Thank you, and we will talk to you guys next time.